Good morning. Welcome to South Union Christian Church. My name is Mark Huddleston. I'm the youth pastor here at South Union, and I'm excited to get to talk with you guys this morning. I'd like to say Happy New Year to you. Welcome to 2022. And I'd like to also start off with a question for you. Uh, Have you ever heard the word or used the word maybe uh, game changer? in your life. Um, Maybe uh, over this last year, you've seen a few game changers. I'm hoping maybe this next year there'll be a few game changers than we've experienced in the last couple years. Um, My son Elliot is a year and a half years old, and in the last six months, there's been a lot of game changers uh, for us. Some of them have been good. Uh, He can eat and drink mostly by himself now. You can just put it in front of him. He'll do it. Um, He can say mommy and daddy. Um, he can talk a little bit, communicate. He, can, he likes taking baths now, and he's gotten to the point where he sleeps almost every night all the way through the whole night, which is a big game changer, let me tell you. Um, he can also uh, run and climb on top of things and jump on t- off of things and tell me no and open cabinets, and that's also been a game changer. <laughs> Webster's Dictionary, it defines game changer as a newly introduced element or factor that changes an existing situation or activity in a significant way. Simply put, there are moments in our lives that redefine an outcome. Those are game-changing moments or maybe game-changing elements that can be introduced in our lives. And I'm hoping for some of you today will be a newly introduced element that has the power to change you. For others, it's my prayer that maybe today will just be an aha moment um, that will redefine an outcome, maybe for you this week, maybe this year, um, and, and just set you maybe on a little bit different course. Those are big hopes, so let's dig into uh, the main text today. In Proverbs 4, 23, it says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. This one proverb, uh, it contains 14 game-changing words, but I'm most captured by three words, above all else. This should be our main focus, above all else, guard your heart. In the scripture, it's referring to our spiritual heart. It's not talking about our physical heart. And it's quite different than our physical heart, but there's also a lot of similarities that you can see between our spiritual and physical heart. With a physical heart, you can't see it, um, but it's essential to living. It works behind the scenes to keep your body moving and working. Um, Maybe you've seen it in a health book or on the health channel, pumping inside of a wide open chest. You need a heart to live. I think everyone can agree on that. You can, however, you can live without other body parts. You can live without a limb, for instance. In the movie 127 Hours, uh, James Franco, he plays a hiker. It's a true story, and his arm gets trapped, and he has to saw off his arm to escape, and he walks out safely. A limb, they're nice, but you can live without it. Um, an ar- a heart, you need one to live. In fact, I heard the other day about a NCAA Division I wrestler who only has one leg, and they're a better wrestler than I am if I had like eight extra legs, I, I guarantee it. Um, so limbs are totally negotiable, but a heart totally essential. And when it comes to your spiritual life, it's the same. Your heart is the game changer because it determines the course of your 
life. If you don't have much concern about your spiritual life, or you're unsure, maybe you're here this morning, you're checking it out, you were invited by a friend, uh, it's great you're here. Regardless, uh, this idea that your heart determines the course of your life, is still ha- it still has a lot of value. For those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, um, this emphasis is huge. Our bodies, as we know, are very complex. There's parts of our bodies that we're still figuring out, even to this day that, that, that they're discovering new things. But there are, um, there are very predictable happenings within the human body. For example, um, if you eat sausages like an Olympic event, you're probably very soon going to visit a doctor or a morgue, right? Um, it's pretty predictable. The, the, when a heart is bad or diseased or unhealthy, it reveals itself in noticeable ways. Uh, you might have shortness of breath, lack of energy, numbness, tightness in the chest, indigestion, receding hairline. I mean, the, the list can go on. There are specific signs of an unhealthy heart. And I'm just curious in the room, by show of hands, how many of you have ever had a heart check or you've had to have your heart medicated or you've had to do anything uh, with your heart? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty common, right? I mean, I'm sure a lot of hands there. Um, it, it's pretty common. I, I've, I've been pretty lucky in my own life, personal health. Um, I'm young, and I'm dumb, and I take my metabolism for granted. I know that. Um, but two weeks ago, Jimmy told you one of my weaknesses. I act like I know a lot, but one of my weaknesses is country music. Um, I, I don't know anything. You could ask. I, I don't know any country music. I'm sorry. Um, I'd say my other weakness is probably ragweed. Or just like anything outside. Um, that's like my, my, my kryptonite. Um, I've always had horrible allergies. And from when I was really young, I, I had to get allergy shots twice a week for almost six years. Um, and it really helped a little bit. But most of my, while I was a, a young kid, like it was just horrible. I even struggled with asthma pretty bad. Um, and, and my mom thought maybe one of the issues might have been uh, dairy. So she took me off of dairy for what felt like one or two years. It was probably like one or two months. But it felt like a long time, and I hated every second of it. She put me on soy milk. I wasn't allowed to eat cheese. I know some people like soy milk. You can keep it. I don't really want it. Um, but what it eventually took was when we moved from Southern California all the way to Indiana, for, what, for whatever reason, I'm not as allergic to Indiana as I was to California. So it, that was what it took, was a big adjustment in my life. And when it comes to our health, it usually takes making some difficult adjustments, right? Uh, the doctor can only do so much. They can tell you everything that's wrong. Maybe they can give you a prescription. But especially with heart health, it comes down to changing something in your own life. Maybe you have to change diet. Maybe you have to change exercise. You have to change a habit. You have to uh, take a little bit of it on yourself. And regardless of your health, you understand this concept, right? When our physical bodies, especially our hearts, if they're showing symptoms, we are going to take action to guard our heart. And with our spiritual life, if you have a weak spiritual heart, it will also show symptoms. Maybe not a shortness of breath, but you'll have a shortness of love. Maybe you won't lack energy, but you'll lack compassion. Maybe you won't have a tightness in your chest, but you'll have a tightness in your generosity. You won't feel physical numbness, but you might feel numb to God's presence. So if you really want to evaluate the spiritual condition of your heart, You need to watch what happens when things maybe don't go your way, when you're under pressure or things just take a turn that you weren't expecting. 
In the morning, for instance, I'll wake up and, and maybe I'll, I'll take the dog out and I'll feed Elliot breakfast. I'll get all my things together and I'll jump in the car and I'll be on my way to work. And I'm probably singing a worship song or two. But it doesn't take long before I pull out onto 37 and some knuckleheads driving too slow in the left lane. Or I, I, I stop at the red light and someone honks at me as soon as it turns green and I get a little upset, right? And, and instead of mouthing and saying, Jesus loves you. And, and, you know, waving as they go by. Uh, usually what I do is I, I drive real slowly through the intersection. So they get a little ticked off and they pull around. And I'm mad, but I feel like I've won. I'm happy. And I can get back to singing my worship songs, right? Um, where did that anger come from? Like, I wasn't expecting that. I, had a good, I was having a good morning. But I got angry. Um, and, and the answer is it comes from your heart. I've got some anger plaque built up that's affecting my spiritual life. That, that plaque, it slows down my love, the residue clogs my spiritual growth, and it pollinates my bloodstream, so anger is slowly flowing through me just below the surface, just waiting to get the chance to pop out there. And I'm not alone, right? Anyone else can agree with that? Yeah. When Jesus spoke of the heart, he used a lot of game-changing words. Let's take a deeper look in uh, Matthew 15. He's talking to the Pharisees. It says, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. The Pharisees, if you don't know, uh, were members uh, that were part of, they, they paid really close attention to religious law. They were the best at keeping the laws. It was actually pretty impressive how well they kept the laws because there were a lot of them and they kept them very, very strictly. Um, and the context of this story with Jesus is a pretty common one where the Pharisees are trying to trip up Jesus to say something uh, that would discredit him, something that they could push allegations on him to show that he has uh, broken God's law or so, in some way, or he's, he's pushing back against God's law. But Jesus, he didn't break God's law, but he didn't keep the human-made rules that the Pharisees had set up, that these religious leaders had made to help other people from breaking God's law, these rules that they'd made to maybe even help themselves um, so, like, if this was God's law here, the Pharisees would insert these speed bump rituals or stop sign laws to make sure that no one ever got close to breaking God's law. But they were human traditions. They weren't anything that God ever commanded. Um, but they'd made them deified. They made them holy. They said, if you do this, then it's just as bad as breaking God's law. Unfortunately, this can still happen today. I had a, a friend in... Uh, Bible college, who uh, I remember we, I was talking to him, and, and he didn't know how to play any card games, um, and, and so he, he got really into it like over the years, and it was because at his church, they said he wasn't allowed to play card games, no card games at all, um, and uh, it was because uh, they said, you know, card game, playing cards could lead to gambling, um, so go fish, bad. Crazy eights, demonic, and don't get me, even get me started on Uno, right? Like, it is a bad way to go. Um, 
So back to the Pharisees, though, with, hand, with the hand washing. In the Old Testament, God instructed the priests that they had to wash their, uh, ceremonially wash their hands before they ate. They had to start with their fingertips and go all the way down to their elbows, and they had to, they had to make sure that nothing impure was ever going to be ingested by them so that they wouldn't get defiled. Um, and as time went by, the religious leaders decided that everyone should do that, uh, not just the priests, so they came up with a tradition of ceremonial hand-washing for everyone, which isn't a bad thing. Maybe we should wash our hands, right? It's, I mean, I'm not going to say that Jesus was against washing your hands, but he was against saying that <clears throat> if you don't wash your hands, then you're breaking God's law. He's saying that you can't hold up these human traditions as something that's uh, going to make you holy or worthy because that's not how God has set it up. He says, you're missing the big picture. You're missing the forest from the bar soap. You're focusing on clean hands when you should be focusing on clean hearts. So watch this. He continues. He says, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man made ideas as commands from God. So the word hypocrite here, Jesus is going to use it a lot when he refers to the Pharisees. Um, It had its origin in Greek theater. describing a character who wore a mask. So someone who wore a mask in theater, they were a hypocrite. Um, And Jesus is essentially saying to the Pharisees, you guys are spiritual phonies. You pretend your heart is near, but it's distant. You keep up all these empty rituals, but empty ritualism does not bring intimacy with God. And then he gets to their hand-washing protest. He says, anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. Jesus here, he addresses a basic bodily function. Um, You can see the tremendous potential for potty humor here, but I never squat so low. Uh, he, he, He goes on and he says, but the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. In your spiritual life, it's not dirty hands that will defile you. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. Why? Well, the answer uh, brings us to our game changer. What comes out of your mouth was birthed and it grew in your heart. What you say is probably a more accurate picture of what's happening in here. So when you say something hurtful or mean or racist or sexist or just rude... And then say, oh, I didn't really mean that. Or uh, what you really probably mean is, I didn't really mean to say that out loud, right? You've been there before. You've said something, and maybe it even surprised you a little bit. I don't know where that came from. Well, God says, I do. Um, It came from your heart. You just got really good at covering it up. Maybe you've even fooled yourself. But I know what your heart really looks like. We can fool other people all day long, but God's not fooled. In Hebrews 4.13, it says, Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Yikes, right? God sees it all. He sees your heart. He has access to the heart because he embodies the heart of all those who walk with Jesus. You can fool other people all day. You can even fool yourself But before God, he sees it all. Your heart is naked and exposed. This verse in Hebrews is actually the only, uh, it's the 
only uh, place in the whole Bible where it uses the word exposed, the Greek word, um, which actually more specifically is talking about exposing the neck of a sacrifice. So it's just this idea of extreme vulnerability. I don't have a lot to say about that. I just thought it was cool. Um, So he continues, for from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands, that will never defile you. And that's quite the list, right? From the heart comes evil thoughts. Murder flows from anger stored in our heart. Adultery and sexual immorality flows from lust stored in our heart. Theft from greed in our heart. Lying from deception in our heart. Slander from jealousy in our heart. It's very clear that Jesus teaches the game changer is our hearts. It's command central, right? For every decision we make, every, every moment in our life that we have to decide what we're doing, every action we take, every word we say, all comes down to our hearts. And I think it's really easy to then say, okay, I, I need to make sure that I'm, I'm doing the right things and saying the right things. To say, say that words and actions are the tell-all signs of morality. Um, We focus on changing the outside way before we think about changing the inside. A parent, they might drop their son off at youth group and say, fix him, adjust his behavior. This kid needs church. Have him baptized, sanctified, and dry cleaned, and I'll pick him up when he's 18, right? Sometimes we can treat church like that too for ourselves. Um, If I just keep going, maybe it'll have an effect on me. Um, maybe, uh, you know, I'll, I'll act like I got it all together on Sunday morning. Um, I'll post all the right uh, scripture verses on my social media so people got the idea that I'm a Christian, right? Um, but God, he's not a glorified etiquette instructor just looking for a behavior change. He's looking to change you from the inside out. He's not just going to zap you and turn you into a model citizen, He's looking to change your heart. He's not looking to make us nicer people. He's looking to make us good people. The inner life of a person is a huge deal for Jesus and all of his teachings. He's not just saying, do this, do this, and make sure that people see you this way. He's saying, you've got to change from here out. It's got to start in a real place inside of you. In Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28, Jesus says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. That doesn't sound like the Jesus that you read about in second grade Sunday school, right? That's the Jesus, not the Jesus that, you know, is picking flowers and holding children. I mean, that's a, that's a real Jesus beatdown, right? Jesus knew how to kick tail and take names when he needed to, right? In biblical times, the tombs that he's talking about, they were always 
regularly washed clean to make them stand out. They were spectacular. They were almost ornate, uh, and people would notice them. They were beautiful in display. And these religious leaders who looked so good on the outside were dead on the inside, just like those tombs. And they needed a Jesus beat down. They needed to see maybe there's something wrong here. I always thought uh, it would be uh, kind of fun to do a sermon titled People Who Need to Be Slapped. Um, Not beat up or injured, but just, you know, need a good, what are you thinking kind of slap. Um, People who wear AirPods to dinner with their family. Or people who push their dogs in strollers. Or, I don't know, people trying to bring the mullet back. I don't know. Anyway, why was Jesus so heated about this? I mean, what, what was the deal here? Um, and here's why I want you to get this so badly. Jesus knew that with the Pharisees, that this heart issue, that it was going to affect every part of their lives. It was going to wreak havoc in their relationships and anything that they did if they didn't get this heart issue right. So let's get back to you. Is there any hope for the human heart? I feel like that's like a, that sounds like a pop song or something like, is there any hope for, I don't know. I'll work on it. I'll get back to you. Um, so is there any hope? Based on the, what the Bible says about who God is, you tell me. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. That's in Ezekiel. Uh, chapter 36 through 26, and, and Jesus and Ezekiel, he's writing to the nation of Israel who has been in exile. They're not in the land that's been promised to them, and he's giving them a hope for a future. He's, he's giving these people who have no hope that there is a future, and he's describing a character of God and the capabilities of God, that what, what God's going to do for them. And this very theology, this idea of a, a new heart being given to people, because we know our hearts fail all the time, that we need a new one. It's all over the New Testament. A new, transformed, and changed heart is what God does. It's what he promises. So yes, there is hope for the human heart. And when your heart is changed, your desires change, And when your desires change, they determine the course of your life. That's what we're getting at here with heart change, is maybe we say we want people to see us a certain way, but when we get down to it, our desires may say something else. Here's the key. You don't change your spirituality heart. You don't change your heart yourself. You see, God does. Uh, you can try all you want to to change your heart, to make it different, but you can't. It's impossible. But the good news is that God is going to do the impossible. That doesn't mean you just get to sit back and relax. Um, We get to work with him. There's a partnership. Um, In cooperation with his spirit, we get to do the possible part. It's a teamwork It's a process, and it's all built on this relationship that we have with him. In Galatians 4, it says, And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. God's spirit is at work within, confirming that you are adopted into God's family. 
there's a loving, divine, and paternal relationship happening. Jesus gives us the word Abba to use to refer to God, which means daddy. It's the Aramaic term for for daddy. And, And God's saying to us, he's saying, I got this kid. I got the big stuff. I'll do the heart surgery. You do your part. So let's be more specific here. Let's get practical, or as I say in youth groups sometimes, let's get tangible uh, about what it means for us to do our part, to do your part. A few primary symptoms of spiritual heart disease are anger, uh, greed, and jealousy. And can any of you guys relate to those? If you didn't raise your hand, do you relate to the fourth one, which is lying? Um, So in your notes, if you want to write anger, greed, or jealousy, and then if you're taking notes, and then you can draw a line, anger to forgive, greed to give, and from jealousy to celebrate. Uh, These are a few exercises to improve your heart health. Forgiving, giving, and celebrating. So if you're thinking, jealousy, that's me, I'm such a jealous person, I hate rich people, I don't like pretty people, when I see a nice car in the parking lot, I get all this jealousy, and then I come inside and see Mark, and he's just so handsome, and I'm jealous, I'm jealous, so I'm going to pray, Jesus, remove this jealousy from me. Well, Jesus is going to say to you, I'm working on your heart, now you need to do your part. You're jealous over that car? Um, Really? Well, here's what I want you to do. Uh, Why don't you celebrate that guy's new car? Ask him for a ride. Talk about the smell of leather or what other, whatever you talk about if you like cars. That's probably another weakness of mine is cars. I don't know. Um, tell him how wonderful the car is. Like really just like celebrate. This is an awesome car. Talk to him about it. Um, and you might be thinking that, that wouldn't be genuine. That would, I feel like I'd be coming from a fake place. Then, then I'd be being a hypocrite. Um, but Jesus says, I know you can't do this from your heart. Because your heart is diseased and we're working on it. Uh, My spirit is at work in your life like I promised, but you need to start celebrating others. You're always comparing yourselves to others because you don't realize how much I love you. Go and celebrate people who cause you jealousy. Sometimes I think we can get tripped up here and think, wait, I want to make sure that everything I'm doing is coming from my heart because otherwise it's not real, right? Well, that's a lie. If we want to change, sometimes that means acting like the person we want to be so that our heart can catch up. In fact, it's usually the damaging, hurtful, and hateful things we do and say that come from our hearts. That might sound like I'm contradicting myself here. Wait, am I supposed to say things from my heart? Am I supposed to not be a hypocrite? Like, what am I supposed to do here? Well, that's where God's spirit comes in. We could not do this without God's Spirit. Because if we said everything that came from our heart, we'd never change. However, if we rely on His Spirit, we rely on what He's leading us to, that is whenever we can do things that maybe we wouldn't normally do. We forgive someone that makes us angry. We give whenever maybe we have a, a want to be more greedy. We, we celebrate someone, uh, even when maybe we're a little jealous of them. In that way, we're not acting like someone maybe that we're not, but we're acting like whose God's spirit is. And if we believe that God's spirit is in us, then we can act honestly in that. And slowly but surely, our heart will catch up. Every day, 
you got to do some uncomfortable, unnatural, and courageous stuff like forgiving, giving, and celebrating. Make those daily heart exercises. Turn them into routines where you cooperate with God's work in you. You just got to do the possible and allow God's spirit to change your heart. Because he's promised to take residency with his spirit and dwell within. Uh, In Ephesians 3.17a, it says, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. I think it's so important to to know that, that there are so many prompters and reminders and ways that God has set up for us to remember to do our part. Um, he's reminded us to, to keep up with our exercises. Um, and and this is, these are some ways that God helps us. The first is, he prompts us through his spirit to have a heart more aligned with Jesus. He provides opportunities uh, for us to be with other like-minded people who are caring about their heart's condition. We do that here through our small groups. Um, we do that, uh, we've been doing that for about a year. We kick those off or I guess six months, and we're going to have a good jumping on point here in a few weeks if that's something you'd be interested in on January 19th on the Wednesday nights. Um, and, and those are so important to have a group of people that you can be working on heart change together with, to be honest about, this is a place where I'm struggling with jealousy. This is a place where I'm struggling with anger. anger. And, and you can talk about it, and you can see that heart change up close and in action. The third way is he gives us his word to know how to walk and follow him in heart-shaping ways. If you're not in God's word, then you're not going to know where his spirit's going to be trying to lead you. Uh, Maybe you can discern a little bit, but the practice of discernment comes from just knowing what God does and who he is, and we do that through his word. And then finally, he speaks through his collective assembly of people every weekend. These gatherings that we have on Sunday mornings, they're so important. Um, Not just for you to be filled up, but for you to fill others up, to talk to each other, um, to see that you are part of a a larger group of people that are all wanting the same thing. Sometimes it can be easy to forget that when we're alone throughout the week. But when we come together, you know that you're not alone, that we are all wanting this same heart change. See, no doctor can force you to get your heart into shape, and your heavenly Father has chosen not to force you either. He's given you a part. He's given you something to practice. He's given you some some things to do on your own, and he's willing to do most of the work, but you have to do part of it. He's loving you, and he's cheering you on in knowing that a healthy and growing, robust, spiritual, God-infused heart will determine the course of your life. So during our response time over these next few minutes, um, I want to encourage you, talk to God. Talk to Him about this partnership. Ask Him maybe a place where you could be doing better, maybe just one area where you could try one of these exercises out. Confess to the areas of your heart that that you you know need changed commit to doing your part, whatever that may be. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for just the promise that you are going to continue working with us, that we don't have to do it alone, that it's not something that we have to catch up to, but you're walking alongside us with. I pray that uh, we can rely on your spirit, God, that it can just 
your presence can just be all around us, God, that we can take this year, and like I said at the beginning, God, that this can be a year where we learn to truly abide in your presence, that we trust where you're leading us, and we follow where you go. In Jesus' name, amen.